debated on whether or not I should try to review last week's message in light of the fact that it has nothing to do with tonight's message. And though it has nothing to do with tonight's message, I am going to remind us because I think the reminder is good and the reminder is helpful. But last week I, I tried to, to remind us as to why we assemble and why we do this thing called church. I talked about last week how the majority of people in our culture today, they don't attend church. Church is not a priority for them. And, and so here we are. We come on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Wednesday night. Maybe you're a part of the Sunday school hour. And, and people may look at us from time to time and say, why do you go to church so much? Why are you so involved in the activities of your church? And I tried to show us from Hebrews chapter 10 that there is great reason for us to assemble because it is in our assembling together that we are able to encourage one another in our Christian lives. If you and I don't assemble as, as we are called to assemble, then our Christian lives are going to suffer to an extent because of it. The, the reason that we assemble in part is because we encourage one another in the realm of love and doing good works or doing right. Uh, when you and I come together, if we are mindful of others, if we are not only thinking about ourselves, we will challenge each other to love God more, to love people in the way that we ought, and we will challenge each other to do right, and that is something of value. So if anyone ever asks you, why are you going to church again, just let them know. It actually is a help to you, and you have the ability to be a help to someone else, and, and that's a good reason to be in church, right? not just because the preacher says you need to be there. So that's that. This evening we're going to continue on. As we do, I'm going to share a story with you or share a thought with you that I know I, at some point I've had to have shared this thought. It's not an exciting one, but it does give us a principle to think about as we move ahead into the Scripture this evening. But I want us to think about this thought, this idea, that whenever you and I buy a new product... Generally, it comes with some kind of a warranty attached to it, right? Some kind of a guarantee. So if you buy something, it may have a 30-day warranty or a 30-day guarantee. It might have a 90-day warranty or a 90-day guarantee. It might have a one-year, two-year, five-year, whatever it is. Uh, depending on what you have bought, it is going to have some kind of warranty associated with it. But all of us are familiar with this as well, that whenever something comes with a warranty, there's also something that comes with it, terms and conditions, rules or regulations, right? So let's just say for a moment that you bought a new microwave. And as you've bought that microwave, it comes with a one-year warranty. Well, that warranty will cover that microwave provided you've not done something stupid with it, right? You know, if, if you've done something extremely foolish, and they can prove that you've done something extremely foolish in the use of that microwave, they're not going to honor that warranty or that guarantee because that was not a part of the terms and conditions that we will warranty your stupidity. If something is broke and you decide before calling the manufacturer that you're going to try to fix it and you've taken it all apart and you've got all these pieces laying there and you decide then at that moment to ship it back to the manufacturer, they're not going to honor the warranty most likely because part of the rules and conditions would be something to this effect. Please don't try to fix this yourself. 
If you're having issues with it, send it back to us. And I think that all of us would agree to this, that it is within their authority, properly so, it is within their authority to say this, that if we're going to warranty this product, you need to abide by a certain level of, of standards or actions on your part. Is that fair? I mean, if you think about this, if you've ever been the one who has given some product and you put some kind of a warranty on that product, it does make sense for you, does it not, to be able to say, listen, I will honor that provided you haven't done anything outside of the realm of, of, of what would be normal or acceptable. And you would say that that would be appropriate, right, for you to be able to put those types of terms and conditions on what it is you're doing by way of a service? Is, is that fair to say? Okay. Well, thank you for that overwhelming response. It seems fair. It seems legitimate. So that in mind, just hold on to that and contain yourself throughout the rest of the sermon because I don't know that it's going to get just a whole lot more exciting. But this, this, this evening, I want us to think about something. I know I have said this before as well. I say it for a reason, again, because... There are some people who thrive on drama, correct? If you've ever watched the, the news, people thrive on drama. If you ever listen to the radio, people thrive on drama. If you talk to some people, they thrive on drama. Okay, so I'm saying this again, that I am not trying to be dramatic in what I'm about to say. I am not trying to be outlandish in what I am saying I believe that what I'm about to say to you is something that I could prove and I think any honest person would have to admit if they were looking at the facts, and that is this, is that it seems in our culture and it seems in our day that anything that relates or even seems to identify with a Christian principle, a biblical principle, it is under attack. Amen. Would you agree with that? That if it appears to have any biblical connection whatsoever, if it appears to have any kind of biblical authority attached to it, it seems like in our culture and in our day, that truth is under attack. I know you know this, I'm just going to illustrate a couple of them very quickly. But if you take a position on biblical marriage, what are you going to experience? You are going to experience some kind of a backlash, right? You might have a circle of friends who are going to agree with you. You might have uh, an area of your life where you can hold to your biblical view of biblical marriage. But if you start spreading that to too many people, you know as well as I do, that view will be under attack. And you, for holding to that position, will also be under attack. 
even right here in Pampa, America, if you said, listen, the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman, and it's not for same-sex marriages, if you start promoting that in Pampa, America, you'll have people looking at you like, where in the world did you come from, and what makes you think you can say that, and who gives you the authority, and you will be under attack, correct? You will. So if you maintain a biblical view on marriage, that view will come under attack and you will come under attack as well. If a person says, you know, we're going to try to, to the best of our ability, raise our children according to the truth of God's word, that will be mocked these days. Did you all know that? I know some of us aren't raising kids, but have you detected that? That it's not real popular these days to raise children according to the truth of God's Word. So if you look at your family and you say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise my kids according to the truth of God's Word. Not only will that be mocked and not only will that be attacked, you will be mocked and attacked for trying to do that because no doubt the culture thinks that you're going to warp your kids in that process and somehow you are mentally abusing them and you are mentally oppressing them and, and you're brainwashing them and you're doing them great harm. That's the kind of world that we're living in. I'm just going to name one more to try to illustrate where we're headed with this. If you decide to prioritize your life according to the truth of God's word, that will come under attack. If you just decide, hey, you know, I'm not going to let the world dictate to me what is and is not important. I'm not going to let the world tell me how I'm supposed to live my life and what I'm supposed to pursue and, and what's supposed to be important to me. I'm going to let the Word of God do that. I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that that way of thinking gets attacked very quickly. And the person who decides to prioritize their life according to the Word of God, they will be attacked personally as well. So I don't care if we're talking about marriage. I don't care if we're talking about raising children. I don't care if we're talking about how we prioritize our lives. I don't care what it is we're talking about. Again, I want this to be clear, that if you hold to a biblical position at all, the position will be attacked and the person who holds it will be attacked. There really is nothing sacred any longer. I don't like that. I'm just going to like lay it out there for you. I don't like that. But here's the reality of it. It shouldn't surprise me. Because here's what Scripture said. Christ told his disciples, if they hated me, you need to know they're going to hate you. Some 2,000 years ago, Christ was saying this, listen, there are going to be in this world people who will despitefully use you and who mistreat you and say all manner of things about you, that was 2,000 years ago that Christ was saying, hey, listen, disciples, you might as well get ready for it. You might as well get used to it because if they've done it to me, they're going to do it to you, certainly. Without fail, it's going to happen. And as you read through the scripture, here's what you find is that the disciples certainly knew persecution, did they not? Amen. As you go through history, you find out that, 
that Christians have not always been the ones who were elevated and the ones who were promoted. Many times Christians have been hated and the culture of their day tried to silence the voice of those who held to the truth of God's word. Okay. So I don't know about you, but this is where I'm at. Not only do I not like it, Sometimes it causes me to grow anxious. Well, why would you grow anxious, Brother Kyle? Well, for a couple of reasons. I don't like to be attacked. I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to be attacked. I don't like to be insulted. I don't like to be ridiculed. I don't like to be mocked. So, so I don't like that. But then I think of this. What kind of world will my children one day be a part of? I, I know they're young adults, but I look at it and I say, okay, if this is the condition that we're in right now, what is it going to be like in another 10 years? What will it be like in another 20 years? Think about how much this world has changed in the last 5 to 10 years already. It is amazing, is it not? They are no longer, it seems, gradual changes. We are seeing changes at, at what would be, what, warp speed? I mean, it is happening fast. Things are changing here and things are changing here. And you can't say this and you can't say that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't say sir because it might not be a sir or, or it might be a sir, but they don't identify as a sir. And I'm just saying, even a couple of years ago, we would have said to ourselves, there's no way that'll happen. And that is exactly where we're at. When they're trying to outlaw pronouns, we're living in a weird world. Don't say he, don't say she, don't say her or him. <laughs> I'm just saying, five years ago, we would not have believed we would be having these conversations. And if we think it's changing back to how it once was at any point in the future, we're crazy. It will not go back. And so I find myself anxious, not only because I don't enjoy it, but I look at my kids and the world that they're going to be living in in a few years. Friends, if you've got grandkids, it ought to scare you to death. To an extent, I mean, to, to look at this world that, that they're living in and going to be living in. But in all that, I'm thankful for the Word of God. And, and as I said this morning, I hope this is an encouraging message tonight, okay? And if you don't like encouraging messages, I apologize. Come back Wednesday and I'll, I'll try to beat you up. But, but this is an encouraging message this evening, I think. So turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. I went back and looked to the best of my ability. I, I don't think I've ever preached this verse before, this passage before. I know I've preached the thought, I'm sure, at some point. But if you notice there in Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5, here is what the writer said. He said, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. What does it mean whenever it says every word of God is pure? Well, the word pure means this, to be refined 
So it's without fault or without flaw. So in reference to the Word of God, here's what it says, that God's Word is pure, God's Word is without fault, it is without flaw, it has been refined, so to speak, God's Word is perfect. Alright, did I give you the right passage? Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5. Some of you are looking at me like I gave it to you, others of you are looking at me like you didn't. Do what? 30, verse 5. Okay, I had to do it if some found it and some... Anyways, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, okay? This isn't going very smooth so far tonight, so help me out a little bit, okay? Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5. The writer says, Every word of God is pure. It's been refined. It's without fault. It's without error. It is perfect. The word of God is perfect. So, in light of that, I like what he says next. He said, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So with the perfect word of God, here's what he says, that he, that being God, is a shield unto them. So what does it mean whenever he says he is a shield, or what was the purpose of a shield in the days of Solomon when this proverb would have been written? What was the purpose of a shield? The purpose of the shield was this, to serve as a source of protection in the midst of an attack, in the midst of some kind of a battle, right? Whenever you had a soldier going out into battle, whatever equipment they would have had, at least some of them would have been equipped with a shield so that when the enemy came against them, they would be able to protect themselves, whether it be from a knife, whether it be from an arrow, whether it be from a spear, whether it be from some other kind of an object that would be hurled toward them. The shield served as a source of protection in the midst of a battle. In the midst of coming under attack from the enemy, the shield was going to serve as a source of protection. Now, is that true in a literal sense? Of course it is. But is it also not true, or is it also true, I should say, in the, the spiritual sense that God is a shield or a source of protection in the midst of the attack? Well, that is a true statement, right? Okay, the, the, the writer says, here is what God's Word says, and here is what God's Word declares, that God is a shield or a source of protection when a person comes under attack. So think about this. If we'll try to put these thoughts together, think about it in terms like this, that the Scripture says that God is going to protect His children when they are under attack from the enemy that seeks to destroy them from any approach or angle the enemy may seek. I don't know if that came out as clear as I'd like, but let's just work on that for a moment. Let's just say for a moment that you decide we're going to prioritize our lives according to the truths of God's Word. It can be done, right? Okay. So let's just say that somebody decides we're going to prioritize our lives according to the truth of God's Word. What does the enemy do? The enemy says that's ridiculous. 
The enemy says that's nonsense. The enemy says that that's absurd. And so what does the enemy do? The enemy begins trying to attack from all different sorts of angles, from all different sorts of perspectives. That is what the enemy is going to do. The enemy is going to attack in hopes of doing what? Defeating the one who has decided to prioritize their life according to the truth of God's word. And what the scripture says is this, is that God will protect the one who is under attack. He is going to be that shield. Let's think about it like this. If somebody says, you know, we're going to raise our children according to the truth of God's word. We're not going to let the world dictate to us how we'll raise our children. We're going to look at the word of God, and that's how we're going to handle our children. What is the enemy going to do? Attack. That's what the enemy's going to do. How is the enemy going to attack? Well, we don't know, but this we can be sure the enemy is going to attack. But what does God's word say? He'll be a shield to him. He'll be a shield to the parents. He'll be a shield to the children. If you'll do it right, God is going to protect those who are under attack. Someone says, well, I'm going to adopt biblical values in my life here, and I'm going to hold the biblical standards here in relation to whatever it may be. Essentially, if a person says God's word is going to dictate how I live all manner of life, here is what that person can know. The enemy is going to come after them. It's just going to happen. All you've got to do is look around, watch, observe. It's going to happen. I don't care if it's a young person. I don't care if it's an older person. I don't care if it's anybody in between. That person is going to be under attack. And the scripture says that God will be a shield to the one who is under attack. Now that's encouraging, is it not? Because here's what that serves as, and and, and maybe this is very obvious as to where all this is headed, But here is what that statement serves as. It serves as a guarantee to you and I that God is going to be our protection in those times and in those situations. It serves as a guarantee. It serves as a warranty. But what does it also come with? Terms and conditions. Right? Rules. Regulations. See, if we read the scripture again, again, very obvious. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. I love that promise. I love that guarantee. I love that warranty. Right. But see, here's one of the terms and conditions of that promise, that God will be the shield unto the one under attack. It has to be that the person who is under attack has placed their trust in him. They've placed their trust in Him. So what does it mean whenever the Scripture says He has placed their trust or or they have placed their trust in Him? It means to put your confidence in someone other than yourself, that being God. So if, if I or if you take a biblical position, here's what we can know. That will come under attack. The position will come under attack, and we personally are going to come under attack. 
mark my words, you know this as well as I do, if we take a biblical position in any area of our life, while some may support it and encourage it, there will be those who discourage it and do not support it, and we will deal with the attacks and the venom of other people. It's going to happen. And the scripture says, now listen, you can trust him, or if you trust him, he will be a shield to you, but you have to trust him to enjoy the protection. So we can leave here this evening encouraged, though that may not be what we wanted. We can leave here this evening encouraged that God will be a shield to us provided we have placed our trust and our confidence solely on him. Now, I want us to think about this for just a moment. If I had not preached any of this message to this point, if you had not heard anything to this point, and somebody just came up to you and said, have you placed your trust and confidence in God? What do you think would be your instinctive answer? I think for most of us, I think our instinctive answer would be, yes, we have placed our trust and confidence in God. That's what I would say. If somebody came to me and said, hey, Kyle, have you placed your trust and confidence in God? My immediate response, most likely, unless you caught me at an awkward, unusual time in my, in my spiritual thought process, immediately I would say, yes, I have placed my trust and my confidence in God. But I think something that we got to remember is this, is this is not dealing necessarily with the topic or the subject of salvation, but it's well past the point of salvation. It's well past the point of faith in Christ for our deliverance from our sin. It's this idea, do I really trust him in every area of my life when different parts of my life would come under attack. Now, if you'll think with me for just a moment, and if we're just a little bit more honest, that might prompt a little bit different answer. So, Kyle, in the midst of spiritual attack, have you or do you Really, completely, entirely, solely trust in Him? Oh. Hmm. Well, what do you mean by completely, wholly, solely, without doubt? What, what do you mean? Do I really trust in Him? Let's think about this for just a moment. Let's just say you take a stand at work. Let's just say you take a stand in your family that you know isn't popular. Let's just say you take a stand with some friends that you know is not what the, the, the party line is supposed to be, you know, with your group of friends. And, and let's just say you hold to a position that is biblical and now you're getting some heat from it. Can you really say that your trust is in him 
Because without that, the warranty, the guarantee of God's protection is not there. That's a little bit harder question to answer if we're honest. How do I know? Okay, I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. Just a couple of questions. You you don't have to, to answer these out loud. I just want you to think about this. Do you, at different times in your life, tend to be a worrier? Be honest. I'm not worried. I just have grave concern. That sounds a whole lot like worry. Right? Now, Now follow this. I trust in God. But past that, I feel the need to worry. I can't really claim I trust in God and at the same time allow myself to worry and fret. You know, I've just, I, I, I've, I'm just, I'm so worried. Well, trust in God. Oh, I have. I just, I'm still worried. Then, then you haven't. Because you and I cannot trust and worry at the same time. You know, I'm just, I, I'm so worried about my job. Well, trust in the Lord. Oh, I am. I just, I can't turn my brain off at night, though. And it's just going and going and going and going. But don't worry, I've trusted in God. No, you haven't yet. I tell you, I just, I'm trusting in the Lord, but I'm so worried about my kids. Okay, that statement makes no sense at all. We can be aware of what our kids are going through, and we can do everything that we can to, to help them, to protect them, to, to lead them, to guide them, etc. But there comes a point, doesn't there? that we have to either trust God or continue trying to to control and manipulate the situation, which is usually motivated out of some kind of worry or fretting. And, And I'm just saying, if we are worriers, we're not trusting. And if we're not trusting, then we don't have the guarantee of protection in the midst of whatever the attack may be. Thank you. That, that kind of deserved more than one amen. Listen, I can't worry and trust God at the same time and trust him for protection. That does not all mesh together. So you've got to ask yourself, do I worry? Do I have a tendency to fret? If so, then, then we're voiding what God's word says by way of what he has offered by way of protection. Ask yourself this question. If you're not sure whether or not you trust in the Lord wholly and completely in the midst of an attack, what do you tend to lean on in the midst of an attack? What do you tend to lean on? It ought to be God. 
It ought to be God's word and maybe some encouragement from God's people. But that's not exactly where people always run in the midst of an attack. How many of us have ever heard situations like this? And maybe I'm just kind of prone to hearing things like this. But, but, but something like this. They're going through a difficult situation. They feel as though they're under attack spiritually, emotionally, mentally, whatever it may be. And, and you say something like this to them. Have you prayed about it? I tell you, I just haven't been able to pray much. My mind's just been so busy. Things have just been so crazy. I haven't been able to really concentrate and pray about it. So what are you leaning on then? Well, how have you been fed from the Word of God? I tell you, I just I haven't been able to really get into the Word of God. You know, I've just been so busy worrying about this. I've just been so busy thinking about this. Whenever I stop to read the Bible, I, I can't even I can't even concentrate on what it is I'm reading and looking at. And, and I tell you, I just I just can't. So so, what are you leaning on then? not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to show us something here, okay? There have been times I have known this sermon can be a help to somebody if they'll just hear it. And you preach the message and they leave as distraught as they were when they came. What are we leaning on? Listen, if we're not leaning on Him... If we're not leaning on His Word, if we're not leaning on, on those who will help us biblically and scripturally and, and, and remind us of the Word of God and remind us of His promises, if that's not some of what we're, we're doing in the midst of that, then friends, we're not trusting in Him because we're leaning on something else. Scripture has promised He'll be a shield to us in the midst of an attack. But we have to trust in Him. And if we're worrying and if we're fretting, then we're not trusting. And if we're leaning on anything other than what He has ordained, we're not going to know His protection. I'm just going to throw one more out here for us and then we'll wrap this up. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of an attack, whatever it is, whatever the nature is, just, just answer this question. How often... Do we tend to look to ourselves in the midst of the attack? Can I get some kind of a head nod? Honey, we're going to have to we're going to have to just bear down and we're, we're going to have to get through this. Oh, we're going to have to? Come on, we're just going to have to kind of circle the wagon, so to speak, and, and, and we're, we're going to have to do this, and we're going to have to take care of this, and we got to do this, and we got to do that, and, and we, 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 and me, and myself, and I, and, and, and I've got to do this. I am incapable of trusting in Him and trusting in myself at the same time. 
I don't have the ability to protect myself from this attack, and I don't have the ability to protect myself from this attack and this attack and whatever else the attack may, may be or where it may come from. And, and I have got to recognize in those moments, God, I cannot do this, so therefore I cannot look to myself to protect me in the midst of this. Either you do it, God, or it's not going to get done. But my tendency is to look to self and say, okay, self, let's go to work and let's get this figured out and let's fix this. I'm going to go to Susie and I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to say it's time for us to team up together and we've got to get through this and it's not about me and it's not about her. It's not about our teamwork. It either has to be depending on him and trusting on him or, or it's not. And if I'm not leaning and trusting and depending upon him, then the promise of protection is void. So tonight, I think there's encouragement to be found in the scripture. You know, I, I think there's encouragement to be found here. The Word of God is pure, it is perfect, it is refined, it is flawless, it, it is without error. And in light of that, if you take a biblical position, the position will be attacked and you will be attacked. But you don't have to worry about that. Because God will be a shield. But only if you trust in Him. If you place all of your confidence in Him. So just ask yourself real quick, just ask yourself real quick, again, these questions. Am I a worrier? Yeah, I am. Okay, then that needs to be worked on. Because you can't worry and trust him. Who do you lean on? Or what do you lean on? Just throw this one in real quick. I didn't touch on it, but I was just so distraught I didn't feel like coming to church. That's ridiculous. Amen. And you hear that one a lot. Just saying. Do you worry? Do you fret? What do you lean on? Who do you lean on? Where do you go for that strength? And are you guilty of looking to self? If those things are true, you know what? We're not trusting in Him. And if we're not trusting in Him, then the promise of protection is void. We've got to trust in Him if we want to know His protection in the midst of the attack. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, first of all, to be encouraged by the fact that you said you would protect, that you would be that source of protection in the midst of the attack. But God, I pray that you'd help us to realize the, the qualifications of that. It's not a blank check. It's not just an open-ended promise where we can claim that no matter what we do or how we live. God, would you help us to be reminded tonight that we have to trust you. 
And Lord, I don't know what people are prone to do in the midst of the attack. I only know what I'm prone to do. And oftentimes I fail to trust you in the way that I ought. I pray that you'd help us this evening. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.